Where are we going? But before that, I'm going to talk about chess. Chess is, I think, a very a super fun game. It's also a super fun metaphor to map onto almost any aspect of life. There are strategies for openings and defensive responses to openings. And they all have great titles like, like the English opening or Rai Lopez or the Sicilian defense or the Carol Khan defense or the Queen's Gambit. Basically, every chess opening sounds like a Jack Reacher novel. There are also techniques for the middle of games to try and get an advantage, like pins and forks. And then there's these untranslated terms that just sound cool to say, like en passant, or fianchetto, or zungzwang. This past week, there was an online tournament of the best chess players in the world called the Magnus Carlsen Invitational, named after the world number one, Magnus Carlsen. Shocking no one, Magnus made the finals. <laughs> against the American Hikaru Nakamura. Uh, here are some of the shots from the game. And so this is what an international chess tournament looks like during a pandemic. And so there's, there's Magnus on the left and Hikaru on the right. And this is the very opening and there's some commentators who are doing it. Um, Magnus used the English opening, which I was like, oh, Magnus using the English opening. Yes, I know it's Magnus, the English opening, you know, and so. Um, but then, so that's the opening, and, and Hikaru is like working on thinking about it. Magnus is where to go next. Uh, but this is the very end of the game, of the first match. And, and you see Magnus makes this move of uh, pawn from H, H6 to H7. And uh, you can look at Hikaru's face, and he's like, oh, it's undone. Look at that. Yeah, it's the end of the game. It's the end of the game. He doesn't see anything over. But the board is very different at the end of the game. The end game is this final phase of chess. Pieces are valued differently in the end game than they are at the opening. Pawns are worth a lot more in the end game. A lot more, more at the end of the match. But this word end game is used in a lot more ways than just chess. For instance, the last Avengers movie was called Avengers Endgame. <laughs> and it was like I said, it's, it's a helpful metaphor. What's the end game? In that case, it was with Thanos, but there's a lot of other, other situations. A lot of aspects of life can be guided by these questions. What are you working towards? Are you just making stuff up as you go along and hoping things work out? For a large part of my life, I played chess with no end game in mind. My chess strategy is not to make a blunder and hope the other person makes a blunder. And in a lot of amateur chess, this works out well. Um, you're just like, I'm just not going to goof up, and it'll be okay. Um, the, game, the whole game is designed for you to make blunders. And unless you play a lot of chess, which I do not, you make blunders. It happens. A stranded pawn here, a bishop's over there. You forget the knight over there. It happens. But good players work towards things. They have end games in mind. They see an advantage and they press it and move to the end game. And the match is over. In those, like the, that match between Carlson and Nakamura, Nakamura saw the end game and he saw he had no chance to win. So he resigned. There was no point of going forward. It was not at the very end. He didn't get into a checkmate, but he knew there was no way to get out of a checkmate. 
Endgame is a word used a lot in talking about the government response to the novel coronavirus. Pretty much every level of government craves a status quo and predictability. All businesses crave predictability, knowing when people are going to shop, when people are going to come or go. They long for it. Societies around the world have been disrupted in ways never seen before. We are on FaceTime with Alina's dad in Hungary, and they're going through similar situations as we are here. And Hungary is not the same place as Austin, Texas, but the, the virus is there too. The world is strange. Can the world be normal again? There's a lot going on in this passage from John today. This is a passage I read at almost every funeral in which I preach. Scholars call it part of Jesus' farewell discourses. In John, Jesus gives a lot more speeches than in the other Gospels. John is filled with a lot of set pieces, a lot more set pieces. The pace is much steadier in Mark, where stuff happens fast and moves. In the Gospel of Mark, it's like, Jesus did this, and immediately he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and immediately, over and over again. A lot of that, and immediately, isn't translated because in English it seems redundant, but in the Greek and Mark, it's just over and over again, and immediately, and immediately. Jesus is doing things. In John, Jesus stays put. He heals. He preaches. He takes the time to share with the disciples. Do not be troubled, he said. There is a place for you. God has a place for you. Do not be troubled. I'm going away, but you will not be alone. Do not be troubled. There is a lot that is going to happen. Don't worry. There are places I am preparing for you, and you will not be alone. In Greek, your end is called your telos. It can be translated as well as goal or purpose or or finish. It is easy to just go along in life and hope I don't make a mistake. But what is the goal? Where are we going? When you sit down and plan your hopes for the future, what does that look like? Where do you end up? What if there were another way to live now that isn't based on the circumstances around the world? What if there were another way to live now? This is what Jesus shares with his friends. This is what Jesus shares with us today. John Wesley, one of the founders of, of Methodism, when he was at Oxford University at um, Christchurch College a long, a long time ago in the early 18th century, he probably took his exams in Latin and Greek. He preached in Latin. We have a recorded sermon of John Wesley's in Latin. He studied the history of the church and knew the writings of the early church. Wesley preached on the idea of Christian perfection, Not because he liked the word. It's a misunderstood word from the moment he spoke the words. Perfection is a funny word in English. It often comes across as mistake-free. To play a perfect game of chess, in some views, would be to not make a blunder. The same logic would have a perfect life to be one without any mistakes. But if that is the telos, if that is your goal... The perfect life is one without mistakes. You don't get anywhere. The best way to never make a mistake is to never do anything. If you don't try, you can't fail. 
If the goal of life is to avoid mistakes, don't do anything. You could try just, or maybe just try doing this, which is just a random video I found on YouTube of a guy staring at a wall for seven minutes. We're not, we're not going to do that the whole time. If you, um, but that's again, if you don't want to make a mistake, just, just stare at a wall. Though it doesn't take long staring at a wall before you realize you need something a little more in your life. And so we see how empty this negative view of perfection is. John Wesley preached on perfection not because he liked the word or he thought he was so awesome. Wesley never included himself as someone who had achieved perfection, which is really, I think, important. He preached on perfection because Jesus preached on perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. From Matthew 5, 48. Now, there are two ways of hearing Jesus in this. One way is to hear him tell us to strive for the impossible ideal, to dream the impossible dream. This is how it's usually read. Be perfect, but not too perfect kind of thing. And how we can sometimes be more comfortable with the flaws of others than their gifts because of the nascent competitiveness so many of us have as we say to ourselves, phew, at least so-and-so has poor taste in shirts because that means he is not better than me at everything. But actually, actual holiness, when we actually meet holy people, it doesn't make you uncomfortable or unworthy. It draws us to the person because the holy person draws us to God. And in that notion, we can understand what Jesus and John Wesley mean by perfection. To live so as to draw others to life, to God, to love. As Charles Wesley says, to empty ourselves of everything but love. And we do that not by endless self-assessments or, or self-actualizations or trying to figure out how can we hack ourselves and our bodies and our minds we do that by leaving the not love things in our life behind because we are going somewhere. We have an end game. We have a home. We have a telos. And the amazing thing is we can start living for that telos now. We can live as if we know our future. We don't know when COVID-19 will go away, but we know where God has made a place for us. And that place is not just in the future. It can be now if we live with our end game in mind. This means our days are not just random or like my, my chess technique, it's not just about avoiding blunders. Our days are seeking God in the here and now, in prayer, in our family and friends, in our neighbors, in the vulnerable of our community. And it's going to mean seeking God in different ways than we did before, but that does not mean we give up. Do not let your hearts be troubled. God has prepared a place for you. Let us take a step towards God in this day. Let us live with the end game in mind. God is with us to help. We are not alone. We cannot do it alone. We need each other in the church. We need each other to walk together. But that means realizing that our future is not just our past on repeat. Our future is something new that we can be a part of. We don't no, when the virus will go away, but we can change how we live and how we love today. God is with us. We are not alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.